Others I heard that were people who were infected, they were burned alive. Their bodies were just thrown in there. Now, this is so horrific to believe that this would happen to America. I'm not saying it did, but that's what I was told were the voices you are hearing, where people were burned alive, maybe soldiers who were just terribly wounded, who were in their death throes. And that's what they, the guys told me that they believed those voices were. And welcome to The Phenomenon Report. I'm Kelly Kleinman. Our topic tonight is a subject that few, if any of you, are familiar with. Officially, Angel Island Immigration Station is located in San Francisco Bay, and it operated from January 21st, 1910 until November 5th, 1940. That's where immigrants entering the United States, mainly from Asia, were detained and interrogated. Imagine, if you will, Ben Stiller in Night at the Museum a lone security guard who is soon enveloped in a world where inanimate objects come to life. Now, imagine our guest with the same role on Angel Island, a lone security guard in a fenced-off high-security facility who discovers not a house of history as much a house of horrors. Horrors that manifest as ghosts, strange phenomena, and more, all the byproduct of a heinous facility with a history of torturing Japanese POWs, Confederate POWs, murder, ghostly hauntings and deadly weapons, a location where disease was rampant in prisoners' quarters and humans were eaten alive by disease-carrying rats. Stay tuned, grab your nearest security blanket, turn on the lights, and shut your closet door. Dan McColgan was the 2013 World Powerlifting Champion and World Record Holder for a number of lifting categories. He's a former UFC in-house strength coach, personal combat and weapons trainer for many entities, including producer James Cameron's security detail. He's also a tough guy actor, great buddy of mine, and this is somewhat of a reunion for us. And tonight, he's my guest. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Kelly, how you doing? <clears throat> Absolutely doing great now that I finally have you on the show. No one can tell stories, and no one's been through quite what you've been through. It's really quite amazing, folks. I used to have a, a store, an urban wear store in Santa Monica. It was called Jam Acted Sportswear. And the highlight of my day was when Dan would walk his, what was it? Was it either had a Pitbull or a Doberman, right? Was it a Doberman? It's Pitbull. Pitbull, of course. Roxy, she was a great Pitbull. Yeah, he would red come by and red. we would have conversations. Lovely dog. Yeah, he would come by and we would have conversations that were amazing. And tonight we're going to have another one of those. How did you get into the Angel Island detail? What was your role? And take us through your adventure there. Well, it all started, I was living in San Francisco, and for a number of years, I'd been a tugboater. I was with Masters, Mates, and Pilots, and I worked as a tugboater for Bay and Delta Tugs, and got you know, significant experience on boats. I was basically a deckhand, and tugboating was a great experience. When I got out of tugboating, um, through a series of people I met, I heard about this job opening on Angel Island. Now, only about 14 or 15 people actually could live on the island in a nutshell. 
They're mostly rangers and the families of rangers, partially people who are responsible for cleanup crews and stuff like this. But the boat rangers, the guys who are who brought the families on and off the island to go to school and to grocery shop, and on the weekends would pick up people in Tiburon, which is right across the bay, the Raccoon Straits. Angel Island is right smack in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. If you were standing in San, in San Francisco, say, on the shoreline, you looked out, the first island you would see was Alcatraz. The much bigger island behind that is Angel Island. It is a fantastic history, um, uh, which we'll get into on this discussion. But um, so through, a, I met a woman who had been a ranger on the island was getting off and there's very few openings and it's very hard to get onto. I was not a California state ranger, but this woman who was very close friends with my sister had a lot of connections. Um, you had to have experience on boats and they were basically looking for a deckhand on the boats. They had two captains at the time and they were looking for someone to uh, fulfill that job requirement. No, I could never, you'd never get on. There's many more people who are probably within the state who could have got on but it's not always what you know, it's who you know. I did know boats very well. And um, with her as a connection, I, I got on. It was funny when I would be on tugboats throughout the San Francisco Bay, <clears throat> going in and out, tugging ships. We, I would look at that island, drive by, and there was these beautiful old homes. And they turned out they were built hundreds during the Civil War. And even before the Civil War and, and uh, during World War I and World War II officers' quarters, huge Victorian homes, I, would, I would, would sail by and I would ask my captains, man, isn't that beautiful? And the captain once told me, oh, man, there's only he knew about the history of the island. And he said that it's almost impossible to get on. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, he says you have to be a ranger and you have to it's uh, it's a highly sought after position because it's such a beautiful location right in the middle of the San Francisco Bay. It was open for tourists on a daily basis to like nine to five and on the weekends. And there's areas where you could camp if you got a permit for it for the weekends and so on and so forth. It was on the low, uh, you know, around the shoreline surrounded by, by beaches. And as you go up, there's hiking trails and mountain biking trails. And it was just, and I used to think, man, wouldn't that be amazing to live on that Island, but it would, I mean, who doesn't want to live on an Island? Isn't that everyone's dream and right in the middle of the Bay, but up, just was told it was basically impossible. I wasn't a ranger. So it was just a fleeting thought as I drive by. And then, um, as it sailed by a couple years later, got out of being a tugboater. I met this gal. She was resigning from the position that she recommended me for strings were pulled connections as things happen. And I got the job and I moved down to angel Island and you lived on the Island and there was officers quarters, both women's rangers, uh, women rangers and uh, men rangers. And they live with their families. Um, if you didn't have a family, you used to live in the house. It was huge Victorian mansions that were officers quarters during the war. The house I was put up in was called the firehouse. And it was the very, pretty much very, the highest end of the Island, not, not on the top of the mountain of the Island, but the highest where rangers could sit and they could, you know, if you were in the firehouse, you could look around, and you could see if there was any fires starting on the island. It still had the old, you know, vintage antique fire engines that were used in like World War II and the garage, and um, which were no longer running, but could be. And uh, it was an enormous home. And it, I was there, in there all by myself. It could, it was meant to house 20 or 30 firemen at any given time. Huge kitchen, huge bathrooms, huge everything. I took the room at the very, on the third story at the very, very top, it was a small room meant for an officer. And um, 
very secluded. Just in, you can't tell you how beautiful the views were from up there. You know, 360 degree views of the entire San Francisco Bay, not only San Francisco, but Marin County. You could see the Golden Gate Bridge, the Bay Bridge, the Richmond Vallejo Bridge. Unbelievably beautiful. And it's an enormous home. And there was very few people who lived on this island. And it just came about from a combination of, to go back to your question full circle, I had experience on tugs. I had experience with the San Francisco Bay. And then I knew a person who could pull the proper strings. I didn't think it would ever happen. And it did. And there it was. But there's a reason why nobody was living in that mansion. And go ahead and get into that. You can't judge a book well, by its a cover. lot of the places, once I live there, I got in. It was a seasonal job. You was not, it was open about nine months for a year, and then three months during the winter months, it closed. And when I lived there, I was told there's enormous history of hauntings, which were, was amazing to me. Now, you got to understand, before I went on this island, I was not a person who believed in spirits or extraterrestrial or haunted homes i was basically sort of agnostic in this in this perspective i said well i'm not going to say that they do exist or that they don't exist it's never happened to me and you find people who are believers or disbelievers they've never had any experience either way i don't believe that nonsense or yeah i totally believe and i didn't but i heard the stories of this haunted out everything because it'd been a, a prison it would be in a prison camp well during world war ii it was a it, or during the civil war excuse me it was a base for um, the Northern Army. And then it was also a base where they housed prisoners from um, <clears throat> the Civil War. And uh, then, you know, it was sort of somewhat like the Ellis Island of the West Coast, where instead of European um, refugees coming from Europe, there was the Chinese <clears throat> coming in. And uh, many, many parts of the island were completely closed off, like... The tourists were allowed on when they'd come in from Raccoon Straits right across from Tiburon, huge open campgrounds. And there was, uh, you know, places to picnic. And that's where there's a concession stand. You could buy hot dogs and soft drinks and stuff like this. And that was the big popular area for people. But other people used to like to hike around the island and, and ride their bikes around the island and go to the beaches and so on and so forth, which were all over the island. But there are many areas that were closed off. They were huge cyclone fences, barbed wire. And they were, and they were, that was the artifacts, the history of the island. Well, I had keys to every aspect of the island. Of course, I ventured around. I had to learn the island. It was part of my job. And um, I had rangers show me around and teach me this stuff. And some of them were the jails that were, that held Chinese prisoners during the, uh, or held Chinese refugees. And during the World War II and the Civil War that held prisoners. Um, it was actually a very dark history. One of my favorite places that, I'll tell you, as, this, as it unwinds, was this it was a big barracks, it looked like, a, a, sort of a very well-built warehouse. And you open the, the, the gates to go in if you had the keys. And there are signs, you know, federal law prohibits entering here. You, you were not allowed to go there if, if you weren't um, part of this, if you didn't work there. And um, myself and one other ranger, while I was living there, he, I, I was very heavily into working out as I've always been. And I was boxing and martial arts, jujitsu and lifting. And I didn't have a place to work on the island. So another man there who was a ranger on the island, we decided to go into this place and set up a little workout area. A heavy bag, a speed bag, a bench press, just little bits of equipment here and there, nothing fancy. And as we walked in one day, we unlocked the gates. We walked in. It was amazing. Now, it was just 
uniforms from the Civil War. It was like a museum. They had cannonballs and cannons. And this it, it, entire history was unbelievable. The artifacts and the treasures that were there. And apparently they'd been trying the state of California, to open up Angel Island as a tourist resort, to open up the jails, to open up. And now a lot of this stuff was being cataloged for that purpose. They had tried a few different times. But the, the history of the island, Angel Island, this beautiful place, the history of it was rather dark. And the, it was not what you would call politically correct. And I'm going back now to about 1989, 1988. And there was some people said it was the cost of opening it as a museum. Well, the cost was, I mean, people were coming onto that island. It was boats leaving from San Francisco, like the blue and gray fleet and the, and the, red, and, the red and gray fleet and the blue and gold, if my memory serves me well. We had our boats that would pick up people. People would have been fascinated by this. And I was told for politically correct reasons and for financial reasons, they never did open up the island and, uh, and open up these areas where tourists could go through. Now I see many years later when you and I were talking about this, I've looked, certain parts of that island are open. And also, I heard there was a couple fires. I read this since I'd left. I don't keep in touch with what's going on. That big parts of the island, major parts of the island actually burned down. I don't know what parts or what, if any, artifacts like were lost or parts of the history burned to the ground. I don't even know if the firehouse at the top of the island, that would be an ironic if that burned down. But that was an amazing place to live. Um, so this is kind of what's what's been going on. So after I'd been told, I've heard certain things the island was haunted, I didn't give it a second thought, although it was a very eerie place to walk around at night. At night, sometimes I would get on my bicycle to go mountain biking. I love the mountain bike in the moonlight at night. And and it was something you've got the heebie-jeebies, and I'm not one to get afraid of anything pretty easy, but sometimes it was very eerie and very spooky to, to ride these paths and these trails and these streets at night. Um, and, uh, and then that's kind of where the story began soon after when I experienced my first, what you might call haunting. And that was interesting because in that um, armory, uh, if you will, um, a hidden armory, there were, they had uniforms, authentic uniforms from the Confederate and the North. I mean, this was a huge um, repository of everything you could imagine, Civil War, the value must be unbelievable, huh? Tempting, it was amazing. It? <laughs> Both gray and blue uniforms. They had medals. They had, you know, all the decorations that were there. They had cannons. They had cannonballs. They had the old musket rifles. I mean, it was a treasure. If someone would have broken in there and found a way, you would have found artifacts. I know there was a lot of Civil War historians and Civil War buffs out there. It would have been a heyday. And I couldn't believe what we were looking at. Um, so to get back that was this i'll go backwards so when myself i know i remember some of the rangers names and so on and so forth i won't use their names because i'm not sure they want people to be using names but my me and this ranger set up and we would work out in there we'd hit the heavy bag we'd devise workouts whereas speed bag heavy bag bench press calisthenics and we'd work out a few days a week and of course before i'd been a tugboater i'd been a trainer for many many years i'd won the mr san francisco i had been a veteran bodybuilder i had a large background in, in the martial arts and so we would devise these routines and um it was a great place to work out the huge doors would open up and you could see the bay it was all the fresh air. It was just amazing. Well, one afternoon, 
about four o'clock in the afternoon, I rode my bike down there, my mountain bike, and I, and I opened it all up and I decided to do a workout by myself. And um, the strangest thing happened. I started working the heavy bag. And of course I rode down in my uniform and take off my uniform and get my work clothes. And I carried a sidearm. And, um, and as I started working on the bags and doing the workout, I heard <laughs> what can only be described as just an otherworldly blood curdling scream. It was the kind of scream will just, how would you say it? Not only gave you goosebumps, it chilled your blood and it was coming from inside the place where I was working but it didn't sound like an actual person. It sounded almost otherworldly. I stopped what I was doing. I legitimately froze. I had my flashlight with me. I had my pistol. And the first thing I did was drew my side, grabbed my pistol and screamed, is there anyone here? What's going on? Who's in this place? I was chill. I turned on my flashlight. As you walk back, it was all, there was no lights in there. It was very, very dark. And it was too spooky to even try and clear or, or try and clear the place or investigate myself. I heard the scream again. I said, to hell with it. It was starting to get dark outside. I grabbed my stuff, threw it in my backpack, jumped on my bike, pulled out, locked the doors and rode up that hill as fast as I could. Where I ran to the house of where some women rangers were living. And one was a very, very close friend of mine. And I told her what had happened. She said, she laughed a little bit. And she says, wait a minute. So she called the rangers. The guy I worked out with in another range around the island who was kind of a no-nonsense guy. Most of these guys had all been former military. And we went and they pulled up in their cars. I told them I had seen. We went down to investigate. Um, unlocked the gate, unlocked the doors, walked in. One ranger said, Dan, this is the first time this had happened. We don't have to investigate. What you were hearing wasn't anyone in there. But we opened up and they investigated. The one ranger who lived on the island for years said, I'm not going in there. And I, he apparently was very superstitious and did believe in hauntings and had experienced it on this island and was so freaked out. He said he did not. He said, Dan, I know what you heard. I've heard it myself. Other people have. I'm not going in there. I just believe. And they decided that during World War II, this had been part of the hospital, not only World War II, but going all the way back to the Civil War. And Wow, how do I say this? That many people had died there. That I heard the bubonic plague was sped by rats in there. I heard he started to tell me stories that this is probably spirits of men who died, maybe men who'd been torched. I'm sure if uh, southern prisoners were in there, they heard they were tortured. Um, and it, it was just a terrifying story that he said. He was so freaked out. He said, I'm not going in there. I tell you the truth. I never went in back there in there again. The other Rangers came back there laughing. They said they never heard anything there. They never experienced anything. They went in there and said, Dan, we've heard the stories. And we, they searched that there was no one in there. We locked up. I, I actually left our stuff in there. I never went back in there to work out again. It was that, it was that frightening and that terrifying. How do you validate stories like this? You don't know. I just know other people had heard it. Some people that actually, who were campers on the island, who had, you know, stayed in tents. And at night, you weren't supposed to leave the gap campgrounds. But of course, people did to wander around and venture. And um, other people had heard there had been calls, like they'd heard screams coming from that place late at night. And people had went to the ranger station and said, you need to go down there. We heard blood curling screams otherworldly screams and somebody's either being tortured or murdered and they would of course have to investigate of course nothing was in there except for this these artifacts it was a huge place um 
so that was my first my first, that was probably my second um my second uh run-in with the supernatural situations if you can and uh it was blood it was it was it was very frightening i can remember it like it was yesterday and i thought to myself i'm never going in there to work out in there again and uh so that was that and then the history started to come out about the island about the things that actually took place there now when i when i googled recently i looked at the background of what's you know recently we started talking about this many of it all comes from they think the chinese immigrants who are held at these holding stations some in jails and so on and so forth and i went in those jails i never had any and they, they're claiming to one woman who had died there uh that was where a, n- a number of haunted hauntings have taken place from there but i've never personally i never experienced it there um, that was the place I had, I had experienced it in this. And I don't know if that place still stands, whether it was burned down, whether the uniforms were taken out. I know from looking at the tours on the islands that that place is still not part of the tour, you know, about the, about the history of the Civil War. But there, it's, it, it was the, And so oh, go ahead. I was just going to say what went on in that building, the kind of torture. Let's get graphic about it, because. You know, people think their rights can't be taken away from them in, in any democratic country, let alone the oh. United States. Uh, <laughs> well, we look what's a... going on in the world today. I think we both know that that's not true. Yeah. Right here in the United States, the president himself is being censored by Twitter and Facebook and his, you know, I mean, come on, General Mike Flynn, Paul Rand, some of the most powerful people. If you're a conservative right now, you're being censored in the United States of America. So anybody who thinks citizens, their rights can't be trampled on right now, all you got to do is look around the world. And I think we can we can see clearly that's not true. But go on. I understand yeah, what you're saying. Exactly. And it's not unusual. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt took away the Japanese rights. He took all of their worldly possessions and put them in concentration camps. But this was exactly even- right. He did. This was even worse. I mean, this was really worse. Tell us about how the Confederate soldiers were treated and what went on with the Japanese POWs, according to the legend of... Actually, it was the Japanese, but also, you know, the Chinese immigrants who came. And here's, you know, here's what I heard, and I can't verify this, that back when the bubonic plague spread across this island, diseases, malaria, you know, back then, it's during the Civil War, these diseases were rampant. You had a bunch of injured soldiers and a bunch of imprisoned soldiers and kept in close confines. What someone told me is it was ovens back there. The ovens were used to burn trash on the island. There was a lot of trash, a lot of refuse and, refuse, and they would burn it there. What I was told, and this is what I would really like to go back and see and hear and read about it, if it's absolutely true, was that how do you ship bodies on and off and on, bodies that are infected with with terrible diseases this is back you know well over 100 years ago how do you get rid of that well what i had heard was that they had incinerated those bodies in the big furnaces which were located in the back of that where of that structure um that's what i was told and that and that's what one ranger believed the voices we were hearing were those people who you know, first off, a lot of them were dead. Of course, the vast majority would like to believe were just incinerated so you could stop the spread of the disease, the malaria, the plague, everything that was going on. Others I heard that were people who were infected. They were burned alive. Their bodies were just thrown in there. Now, this is so horrific to believe that this would happen to America. I'm not saying it did, but that's what I was told were the voices 
you are hearing where people who are burned alive, maybe soldiers who are just terribly wounded, who are in their death throes. And that's what they certain the guys told me that they believe those voices were that those were the howlings of people who would maybe trap spirits, if you will. Uh, like I say, again, I don't know if that's true, but I've heard that that's where the bodies were incinerated on the island. I can tell you other things that we found the Polaris missile site, which is now common knowledge that the military had built nuclear weapon um, underground, we would go there. I would unlock the place at night and we would go down this ladder hundreds of feet underground. It was crazy. And this is where, and you could, it would open up, look like it had a cathedral ceiling where the missiles would be shot through. Apparently, the military installed this without uh, notifying the public. They were completely ignorant of this. And when people saw on a map during the Cold War that during the 70s, that the San Francisco Bay Area was a major target for if we were to get into a war with Russia, say a nuclear war, and they didn't know why I could see Washington, D.C. or different military bases like San Diego or so on and so forth. But the San Francisco Bay was one of the major targets. Well, the Russians knew that we had they had installed a nuclear missile silo right on Angel Island. And through political protests at the time, San Francisco being a very, you know, liberal place where, you know, People were just anti-nuclear weapons, anti-war. They protested and they got it shut down. The missiles were removed. It was fascinating. We, we were not allowed to do this. I, I don't care. I'm going back now. But I would have friends on the island. They'd come over. They'd stay in my place. My place was enormous. It was just such a great place to hang out and party. And we'd go down to the beach and explore. The views were amazing. And I would unlock these places at night, the jails. And we would, I would give people tours, my friends. It was very spooky and, and, and just awesome. And we would go down there in those missile cells at night. There's no running elevator. So we had to walk down, a climb down a ladder. Looking back, I would never do that now. And it was so, we had flashlights with us. And it was, and it was looked like 1950s technology. Like you see the computers now we have, we have nowadays, but all that technology that was used on radar and equipment to probably control the, the, the launching of the missiles, unbelievable. It was, it was down there. It was in, it was in perfect condition, of course, the, 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 but very old-fashioned, even by the 1980s standards, you know. And it was hard to know even what we were looking at. But it was, an, and we did this on two or three different occasions. It was crazy for us to take the risk to do that. But we were gone. I was in my 20s. I had friends over. And, and you know, when I was off duty at night, they'd come over. And they'd, they'd stay for a weekend, and we'd explore this. And that was another very interesting thing about the island. It was uh, it was an angel. It was an actual, you know, nuclear missile site, and um, which was fascinating. And now, folks, he would never do that again because it was a two hundred foot descent into the. I don't command know the exact, model. but it, oh no, it was very very far. It was like if you we had one slipped or fell off, and we were stupid. We'd been drinking beers. If we'd have slipped or fallen, I mean, it was it was far very very far when it was 150 feet or 200 feet underground i don't know exactly the depth but it was it was death defying it was ridiculously stupid for us to do that and it was laden with black widow spider nests right oh yeah (laughs) so i have arachnophobia i'm scared to death of spiders and um 
I'm like little spiders, but if I see black widows and stuff like this, so as we were climbing down the ladders at night, I don't know how these spiders get in the ground and survive there. I don't know what they use as a food supply, but on the ladder itself, there was webs and there was black widows in these webs, big black widows. We'd have flashlights and so on and so forth. We had headlamps. And I was like, how do we climb through this web of black widows? And there'd be three, four, five black widows. And we were just, we held on with one hand and swatted them with the other and knocked them out of the way. And when we got under there, there was a number of nests of webs of black widows in it. it was very, very eerie to say. That's where I guess if you don't care about spiders, but black widows are nothing to mess with. They're poisonous, and I was terrified of spiders, but I didn't care when we went down there. It was such an adventure that it overcame my fear. But yeah, that was another thing. And we were climbing down the ladders. My friend, Dan, look out right now, you know. Right next to you, to the left, 18 inches away from your head, there'd be a web with black widows in them, two or three of them. And it was amazing. So anyway, that was just another little interlude. Yeah, similar story. Um, I went to a place called Camp Roosevelt um, off of the shores of Lake Erie uh, six, for six or seven years during my childhood, youth, whatever you want to call it. <clears throat> and um, uh, we would shower and we'd have to use the latrine and there were spider webs all over. The place was absolutely strewn with black widows and all sorts of spiders, big gnarly ones with huge abdomens. So I've got a little bit of that arachnophobia also. But let's get back into the Angel Island thing. And there's some legends of some other ghosts. Uh, there was a female apparition of some sort. And then you were actually um, uh, given a visit uh, by perhaps something that came knocking on your door. Go ahead and tell us a couple uh, about those two specific instances. So when I first stories. got on the island and they moved me into the firehouse, this enormous house all to myself, it was very eerie and very spooky. I guess if you've lived in a house, an enormous house, this could house 30 or 40 firemen, huge kitchen, three stories, and it was kind of spooky living there by yourself. After a while, you didn't think of it, but I was uh, staying there, and one night I was lying in bed, trying to sleep, and I heard a strange clunking sound. It was a, it was footsteps followed by like a clunking sound, and I thought for sure. Now this this place at the time didn't have locks the doors, on the doors, um, and I was told that sometimes people would light who had camp were supposed to, you know, campers who were supposed to be at the campgrounds would walk around and try and walk in these old places, which absolutely was against the law. They should not have been there. So when I woke up, I thought startled woke up that someone may have come into the home, but it sounded eerie, Kelly. It sounded very strange. And I was in the top floor and there was a big open space, top floor, like a, like a big lounge or a common area. And then the bedroom I laid it was in was a small bedroom. And I always kept the door shut and I was got out. My first inclination was to investigate, but it was very eerie. I said, Hey, who's ever in the house, get out. I'm a ranger. You're not supposed to be here. The footsteps continued. I screamed out the door again. If you're in this house, you can be arrested. Now there was no phones on the island or anything. This is back before we had iPhones or anything like this. It got very, man, it was scary. So I grabbed my pistol, my sidearm, opened up the door, had a flashlight and proceeded to clear the house. It's not like I could call for backup, which I would have had we had phones. And uh, there was nothing. It was right outside the door. I swung the door open. It sounded like the noise was coming from right outside the door. Nothing. 
I, I turned on the lights and nothing went downstairs to second floor, cleared the second floor, went downstairs to the bottom, nothing in the house. The door was shut. I was like, Oh my God. So I didn't sleep for the rest of the night. I went to bed. I was just laying there with my pistol in my hand mm. and, uh, Nothing happened. Got up the next day and told about what I had seen. And they said, yep. One ranger said, he said he believed that this was during the Civil War, that this was, it was before it was a firehouse. It was made a firehouse, I think, World War II. During the Civil War, it was an off officer's quarters. And an officer lived there who had been wounded in battle, who had one leg blown off. And he walked with a cane. And that's exactly what it sounded like. Like he was walking, a man was walking with a cane, the clunking of the sound. He said, it's not an evil spirit. It's just a guy who died in that house, an officer who died in that house. And don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. He's not an evil spirit. And if it comes again, hey, I know who you are, officer. Don't worry about it. It's just me. And you were supposed to address them like this. I guess by addressing spirits now, I never... I don't know about this. I did, but that's what he said. Do not be afraid. Address them. Let them know who you are. Let them know you're. My name is Dan. He believed you could sort of communicate that they were that this was the way. And this guy was he was one of the highest ranking rangers on the island. At the same time, he was a, a historian. You could walk into the first floor where there was a uh, there was a shop there. There was a building where it was about the history of Angel Island, and it told you know. And there was uh, historians in there who would tell you about things that had happened. Most of them would just tell you about you know the Chinese coming over the world. The the it was a base during World War One and World War Two during the Civil War and so on and so forth. They would, and but there was one woman on the island who was a historian, and she could tell you about the hauntings, which were some people dismissed it as nonsense, some people took it realistically. It was uh, whatever you chose to believe, and she told me that's what it was. She said there was a ranger who lived on this island, not a ranger, a, a civil war during the civil war, a, a high ranking officer who had lost his leg in battle and who walked with a cane. And this is what, because she'd heard this, she'd heard the same things from other people. And she went and looked back in the history and she deduced it was probably this, this guy. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it was or wasn't. All I know is I heard it two or three more times within the first six months I lived there and I never heard it again. Within the first few months I lived there, maybe the first month and a half, two months, I heard it a couple more times. I never heard it again. Then I got used to living there and, and you know, it didn't seem spooky or eerie anymore. It just seemed like, you know, it's a place to live every day, which is great. Yeah, my approach on the whole ghost thing is that uh, I just look at the potential for a ghost to be a, a life form or a, a form of consciousness that has taken a certain form. Um, I no longer have any fear of them. I guess I just watch so much Star Trek and life forms take on so many different shapes and sizes and forms that uh, that I, I'm just conditioned, I, I think, you know, to, to not fear that anymore, although I've had some experiences. Uh, now, this is kind of, well, let's, let's touch on one other thing. Back to the, uh, the POW treatment, because folks, there were hundreds of POWs who might have been mistreated um, and indeed cooked alive. Um, I guess the, the, the rumor or the legend is that uh, they treated the wounded Confederate and Union soldiers with, with opiates, with heroin, but they didn't give the opiate, the heroin for pain relief 
to the Confederate soldiers. Rather, they were treated rather rudely, as were the Japanese POWs. Well, I don't know. Um, I know heroin during during the Civil War was a common use, commonly used painkiller. Um, that's just you know that's just a fact. But uh, now, I mean, look at all the opiates they're using nowadays. Look at the opi yeah. opiate epidemic crisis in the United States. But that couldn't be. Are you kidding? Opiates right now prescribed by doctors, all these through Big Farm, are killing more people than you know gun violence, car accidents, cancer everything all the known you know huge causes of death don't even come close to what they use and you know using on people nowadays all these prescription drugs it's an epidemic it's a crisis that most people don't even want to talk about it. and it's enormous you talk about gun violence That's, come on yeah people get killed by guns you talk how about car accidents how about cancer how about all these litter you talk about gun violence and stuff like that i think it's part of a political agenda to ban guns actually it's very very small almost infinitesimal amount of people who are killed through gun violence um, in this country, even with all the guns, with, with millions and millions of guns. You want to talk about car accidents or motorcycle accidents? Way more. Cancer? What kills more people than anything is Big Farm. I don't want to go on a, you know, some yeah. sort of rant about this, but yeah, during the Civil War, heroin was, and we have all these derivatives of heroin now, these opiates that are used as painkillers. But back then, what I'd heard, and this again, I can't verify, I didn't, is that uh, we used opium or heroin as a painkiller during the Civil War, which we knew. And I heard they used it on, you know, all prisoners who were there as a painkiller, much less on Southern prisoners. These are prisoners of war. They weren't going to get the best. Well, they should have got good medical treatment. They didn't get the best medical treatment. And this is what, this is what, again, I was told, but I never, um, sorry, I'm, this, my phone is on kind of an unstable platform here if I keep moving it around. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, so I don't know, but I've heard that was it. And I've heard that they didn't get the type of treatment they deserved. Anyway, a lot of guys came home from the war with heroin addicts, you know, addicted to heroin, just like many people now who have chronic pain, they're prescribed painkillers, opiates and stores become addict, become complete addicts and many of them die of overdose. I mean, look at all the celebrities who've got the best care we can offer from Michael Jackson to Prince and the rest who've died just recently from overdoses or due to painkillers and so on and so forth. And that's with great medical care. So back then, who knows? Now but yeah, that's what, that's what I heard. Like, I, I can't say this is an absolute fact. This is what I was told when I was there. Yeah. My people who lived on the island for years. I only did one stint there. I only did one nine months stint. Now, on the light side of things, you're uh, one degree of separation from Steve Perry. Now, as mentioned earlier, you're a powerlifting champ and you trained people. And there's a certain song uh, that became quite well known. It was probably a top five hit by Journey. Yeah. Written yeah. about one of your, uh, one of the people that you trained. Well, when I was uh, in San Francisco as a trainer at a number of different gyms, City Gym, Gold's Gym, so on and so forth, as uh, I'm a trainer now, I'm a strength coach now, I, I, I specialize mostly in powerlifters now. Back then it was general fitness and bodybuilding, and because uh, I had been a competitive bodybuilder in 1982, I won the Teenage Mr. San Francisco, and I was training at Gold's Gym in Walnut Creek and Gold's Gym San Francisco. Anyway, I had a clientele, and one woman I I, uh, I worked with had been um, a long time, for many years, 
girlfriend was Steve Perry. She was just a wonderful woman, very funny. She's older than I, I was in my mid twenties, and she had to say back then she's probably in her early forties. She had remarried, and when I had friends come over to the island, some would sail over on sailboats, some would come over on boats, and they would stay with me for the weekend because there was so many beds on the island. It's such a big place to stay, and the house I lived in, and we had a you know outdoor grills right you know right there on the premises. We had a beautiful kitchen, you know, a large kitchen, I should say. It was a very old kitchen. And so huge refrigerator. And it was just a great time. And she came over with her husband to visit. Now, I got to see on the top of the island right there. Why am I drawing a blank? The, the mountain. Angel, I'm coming to me in a second. Um, was one of the most magnificent views. I had the van on the island. I would pick up the kids in the morning to take them down to the docks to get them on the boat so they could go to school. And also, uh, you know, the only cars along the islands belonged to the Rangers or I would pick up the mothers and so on and so forth. And I'd chauffeur people around the Island if you live there. And, um, so I packed everyone up at, at the at my house, the firehouse, and we drive them up the mountain. It was really steep, winding roads. And we get to the top. It was very it opened like the area had been cleared. It was basically a picnic area. And um, man, at night, it was unbelievably beautiful. You could see the lights of San Francisco and very close was Marin County, right across the Raccoon Straits. You were just surrounded. It was just the view was magnificent. And I remember her telling me she had traveled all over the world with Journey and Steve Perry and saying, I have seen every place in the world. And I, you know, been around, if you didn't know anything, you'd say this is the most beautiful place you'd ever seen. But she actually said, I've been all over the world. I've seen the most beautiful views. And there is nothing like this view from Angel Island, from the top of this island. I never forgot that. She says, anybody who doesn't understand what they're seeing right now, this is just, um, and it was truly amazing. And everyone had come over, whether it was my mom or my brothers or friends, or, you know, I drive them up there at night. It was a, you know, you could see just incredible views. This is just to tell you how beautiful that island is. It's amazingly beautiful. It's right. Why, well, I guess over the years, I've heard that people have tried to buy the island and turn it into like where they could build homes or build hotels or something like this it would be a major destination but it's it basically it's a historical landmark i mean with the with the, the enormous history sometimes i always thought it should be called devil's island instead of angel island but um with the oh, dark sure. history that's around but it's got a very interesting history too it's not all evil it's not all terrible it's a magnificent place where it tells so much of american history from the civil war to world war one to world war two to what it is now and um and it is a very, very beautiful place. But I must tell you all, it can be a very eerie place as well. Spooky. And I would walk around at night, just get out, just take walks through the night and on trails. And I would take people for hikes. There wasn't a person, wasn't a single person I ever took for a hike at nighttime. When daytime was beautiful. You'd mountain bike and you could go to the beaches and all the beaches back then, California state beaches, were all nude beaches. So you could go nude if you want to. You could do whatever you wanted. But at nighttime, when you took people out and the wind was blowing and rustling through the trees, and it was a very, very spooky place. And I like to hike at night. I like to hike in mountains at night when I go camping and hiking. And I'm not freaked out at all about being in the woods at night or camping at night or going to very secluded places, the mountains, the desert, wherever. I'm very comfortable. Then being out in the dark at night doesn't scare me at all. In fact, I think it's a beautiful place. Angel Island was spooky. And it was always spooky at night. I never, and if that wind was howling, the winds coming out of the San Francisco Bay and those trees were creaking and bending, every person I ever hiked with said, 
dude, this place is spooky. This is weird. We'd have flashlights. And I know there was no one on the island. I would still carry a sidearm with me. I'd still carry my pistol. I believe at the time I was carrying a Glock Model 21 45 Auto. And I would just be like, yeah, it is. I mean, you could see. There was other spottings. Another one was the White Witch was very famous on that. People talk about it was a woman, a bride, whose husband was killed during the Civil War. And she lived down the island and she she hung herself apparently i never saw that or had experiences but the people who lived down the island all of them had stories from different hauntings or different sightings or things that they had come in contact with the two i did was one up in the fire was when i was staying in the firehouse which was apparently i was told an officer from the civil war which i already talked about and then down in that but I can only call it somewhat a, a museum, a storage house for all the artifacts collected, not only during the Civil War, but from World War I and World War II. If they ever opened the island completely and told the whole story, that would have been an amazing museum where they could have cataloged all the stuff, all the weapons of war, all the uniforms, the history. And so maybe even those ovens where they used to burn the garbage, but later was rumored that burned human bodies who had died or it suffered from the plague. Again, I can't testify to that completely, but this is what I was told. And that part of the history is very much covered up and very much censored and nobody talks about it. Nobody wants to. Now the Chinese immigrants who give tours in the island, there's a couple of elder, I guess one elderly gentleman who gives tour. I just, when I was looking on um, the website a few days ago for Angel Island and his, I guess father was there. And this man looks like he's in his late seventies. His father came over during the 1920s or 30s and he talked about how mistreated they were and how awful the conditions were and he used kind of uses it to spin a kind of a sort of a political narrative of his own um of how people are mistreated in america or well somewhere along that line but there there's the sightings of of uh, a haunting that a number of people investigated of a chinese woman who had died there whose spirit is still there i had no experience with that but they haven't been talking about what i experienced and um, what other people on the island, there's so many stories among people over there. There was, um, and this is, this is what I was searching for when I was looking, but nobody's talking about those at all. But I was told that many, many um, researchers over the years, people who do, you know, paranormal researching, that, the, that Angel Island is still considered one of the most haunted places in California. And <clears throat> I guess if you research that deeply, you can find, you know, a lot of evidence of that of researchers who have come over and discovered things or been told or so many different reports by not only people who lived on the island, but people who've visited the island who believe it's very haunted and have experienced terrifying paranoia, paranoia happenings, paranormal happenings. Yeah, yeah. It's hardly an Angel Island. Oh, and oh, by the way, those of you who are wondering what that song was, it was called Oh Sherry. The girl's name was Sherry. You're... you're, you're you're a client, uh, you're a, a training client. So uh, again, one uh, one degree of separation between uh, Journey, who is obviously a San Francisco music icon. Dan, thanks for joining us. Uh, this was some great insight and uh, I really appreciate you coming on board. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me. You know, we were friends for so many years back in the day and then we lost contact from when was the last time? Probably 2005 or so. 2000, I was at the time working at World, first Gold's Gym Venice and then World Gym Venice under the late, great Joe Gold. And I would always stop by and talk. And then, you know, over all these years, somehow we reconnected. This is wonderful to talk to you again. 
Yeah, back Trying at to, you. It was actually go 2003. Go back years in my memory from the 1980s to, to now about those. remember telling you about it back in the day, and you were always fascinated by that sort of stuff, the paranormal and Bigfoot and UFOs. At the time, I never believed in any of it until I went to Lane. I lived on Angel Island, and now my mind is open to everything. <laughs> After you've experienced it, although I don't have any experience with UFOs, I believe in them. I am not going to be a naysayer or hater anymore because that was, people can tell me, oh, I don't believe in the super, either did I, but what I experienced couldn't have been anything else. And it was, it was terrifying. It was frightening, you know? It was frightening. Yeah, yeah well, people, look, I go back to probably the, I don't want to give away my age, but I go back many decades discussing. Oh, come on. You look great for your age. You should be well, bragging. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. But I'm younger than you. And I think I look 10 years older. No, no, not at all. But I've been, I've been preaching, you know, phenomenon forever. I know you, you know, have. Yeah. It's uh, I've always been uh, very interested in it. And that's what this podcast is all about. It's about, you know, bringing these subjects, um, you know, into the spotlight. I know there's a lot of people who do these kinds of podcasts now, but uh, I think that a lot of times their guests are, you know, sometimes they're just full of it. You know, I try to bring on authentic people who've actually experienced it and have a certain level of credibility beyond just, oh, by the way, I experienced this, that, or the other thing. Um, not to uh, besmirch anybody trying to make an effort doing the same thing I am. I think there's a lot of great shows out there, but uh, nobody else has had Dan McColgan on. So again, I want to thank you. And, and folks, uh, don't forget, subscribe 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 like comment and share this um that's what we do we try to build up our our audience this is just a, a labor of love if i could do it every week and i was getting paid to do it i would but it looks like i'm only able to get guests every three to four weeks that are what i consider fairly high quality stay tuned for much more of this uh by the way that creak that you hear in the middle of the night that strange sound that unusual smell that light that comes and goes and that moan in the darkness might not be a figment of your imagination. I'm Kelly Kleiman. This is the Phenomenon Report. Have a nice evening.